Hey everybody, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Arlington Countryside Church and I want to welcome you. I'm really glad that you've made the choice to be with us today. I hope you're doing well. I'm curious, how many of you are in desperate need of a haircut? Uh, you got quarantine hair. As you can see, my hair is pretty long. It's never been this long for like the last 20, 25 years. I don't even know what to do with it. I just dry it off with a towel in the morning and then don't do a thing. So I hope I'm looking good because this is new uncharted territory for me as far as hairstyle goes. But I'll be honest, that's about my biggest problem in life right now is I need a haircut. And I figure if that's my worst problem, I'm doing pretty well. So I hope that's the case for you as well, that your worst problem is you need a haircut. Uh, on the screen in front of you, uh, where you're watching this, there should be a link. There should be a place to click on the communication card. I want to encourage you to take the time before you uh, get away from us to fill that out, okay? Uh, and there's a spot there that says, I'm new here. And so if you're, for the first time, joining us online, if you could uh, click that, uh, that would be great, okay? And uh, there's a place there for prayer requests and for praises. We'd very much like to pray for you and your family. And so take advantage of that and get the prayer support of our faith community. There's just a few announcements I want to bring to your attention. Uh, one is that uh, Pastor Chris is doing a great job as our family pastor connecting with uh, families. And every Friday he sends out an email that gives the Sunday school curriculum for the kids that the parents can use it at home. If you aren't receiving that email and would like to, then on the communication card, indicate that, uh, check that box, and we'll get you on that email list, and you'll get those children's ministry resources every week from Pastor Chris. I'm excited to tell you we've got an event coming up that you're going to want to be a part of. Now, obviously, it's not an in-person event. We're going to be doing it by way of Zoom, but this Saturday, May 9th at 7 p.m., we're doing Trivia Night. Uh, this is a tradition we've had. We've done a lot of trivia nights in person, our first one online. It's going to be pretty much the same thing. Uh, the trivia is on pop culture, history, politics, uh, a lot of different subjects. It's always a great time. And uh, you can be a part of that. It's free, but you need to pre-register online. So go to our website. And uh, on our website, let me see, where do you click? You go to uh, right at the top of the homepage, get involved. And then once you go there, upcoming events, and then you can register. You don't need a team. Just sign up and you'll be placed on a team. Or you can register as a team and the instructions are right there on the webpage. So either way. But uh, it's free. It's going to be a great time. Uh, so I hope that you'll join us. So do that now or sometime soon for this coming uh, Saturday night. At this time, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. I love the Apostles' Creed. I grew up reciting it every Sunday morning. It's a very meaningful thing to me. The Apostles' Creed uh, has been in existence for over 1,600 years, and it's a creed that Christians all around the world in all different denominations recite regularly, and it's a beautiful concise statement of faith, the ABCs, the basics of the Christian faith that we hold to. And so I would invite you now to recite the Apostles' Creed out loud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, 
our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen.
Good morning. My name is Simon. I'm one of the youth pastors here. And here are five practical tips to gain traction in your prayer life. Number one, start small. Start with just one sentence. You don't have to have some large, grandiose prayer. So if you're going to pray for your daughter, Susie, say, Father, I pray for my daughter, Susie, in Jesus' name, amen. It's that simple. Start doing that. Start small. Start often. Number two, don't be weird about it. It's not a seance. You don't have to have it all put together. You don't have to have big religious sounding words, whatever it is. Have it simple as just talking to God. That's all it is, is talking to God. Be simple. Don't be weird about it. Number three, do it everywhere. Do it anywhere and about anything. If you are driving in your car, try praying. If you are going to the grocery store, try praying. If you're waking up in the morning, try praying. If you're before a meal, try praying. If you're going to bed, try praying. Try it everywhere. Try it all the time. It will help you gain traction the more you gain momentum. When you start small, you're not weird. You try it all, all everywhere. It helps gain traction. Uh, number four, try writing it down. Maybe you need to go buy a journal and try writing down your prayers. That could help you gain traction. And number five, Try praying out loud. Uh, I know for me, when I try to do silent prayer, I will be distracted and asleep in less than five minutes. So pray out loud. You get to say your prayers, you get to communicate with God, and it helps gain traction. And so that's kind of five practical tips and how to gain traction. But what I want to spend the majority of our time on is kind of the what we should pray about and the why this is so important. And so before that, I'd like to pray as we head in. Father, I pray for us now as we look to Scripture to learn how to pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a second grader, I was on an indoor soccer team. And this is my first experience that I can remember praying. We were going to our first game of the year. Um, We were driving in my parents' sweet red minivan. And I remember praying this prayer. I remember saying, God, well, maybe not word for word, but God, I really want to win this soccer game. Help me win this soccer game. Little second grade Simon praying that. Um, And of course, because I prayed that, Every time I kicked the ball, it just magically went into the net. Not really. We got obliterated. We lost eight to one. And little Simon, uh, what that taught him was, eh, prayer doesn't really work. Why do it? Uh, Maybe you've had an experience with that, but maybe yours was much more serious. Maybe yours wasn't about an indoor soccer game. Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed and that family member never got better. Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed and, and the bills still didn't get paid. Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed and your marriage still fell apart. Whatever the case may be, you might have some serious pain with praying to God. Maybe it's not pain for you. Maybe it's confusion. Maybe you can't understand what you're supposed to say. Maybe you're confused because if God has a plan, it's not going to change. What would my prayer do? (laughs) Whatever it is, we have all these questions about prayer. And that is why Pastor Dave asked me to do this sermon, because I know everything about prayer. (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. I'm so used to having everybody in the room, and I'm sure you're all laughing like crazy right now, but I just have to believe you're busting a gut at home. (laughs) I don't know everything about prayer. I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why your prayers weren't answered the way that you want them to. I can't answer all that. And and so the the scope of this message that we're doing here is to really focus on on one prayer that Jesus has. We're really going to focus on this. Um, My goal is not to answer every question. I'm sure after this sermon, you're going to, you could say, but what about this? But what about this scripture that says this about prayer? But but what about this situation in prayer? Yep, you're going to have those questions and I'm not going to answer all of them. We're really going to focus on this one prayer uh, of Jesus. It comes to us in John 17. It's at the end of what's called the farewell discourse. It, it's after the Last Supper, but before Jesus goes to the cross. And he, he's giving these last words to his disciples. Um, no, they're, they're not the only words Jesus ever said, but they were important enough for John to think to write them in his gospel account. Um, and so that's why we're going to study it. And it's actually a privilege that we get to read it from somebody who is in the room. This isn't just uh, some, uh, some legend that was passed down from gener- generation to generation about Jesus' prayer life. No, we're literally reading firsthand from somebody who was in the room, and that is special. So I'm really excited to dig, in, uh, dig into John 17 with you guys. If you have a good old-fashioned paper Bible, you can go ahead and grab that to follow along. It'll be easier for you to follow along, but if not, no worries. We're going to have the scripture on the screen for you. So let's dig into John 17. John 17, verse 1, after saying all these things, notice uh, John puts this in here right away, so that way we know everything he just said in the last four chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, it's all connected to this prayer. So it's not a prayer that's isolated apart from different places of Scripture. It actually builds on a lot of those themes. So that's why he said that. So Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you send to earth. So off to get-go here. 
Jesus's prayer is about eternal life. And what's really interesting about the Gospel of John and talking about eternal life, he has a slightly different perspective than the first three Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In, in those three Gospels, eternal life is really focused on the age to come, focused on when a believer passes from their life on this earth, what's on the other side. Yet John consistently throughout his Gospel talks about how a believer in Jesus, when they place their faith in him, they pass over from death to life. Uh, and so because notice what Jesus is praying here, that eternal life is to know the only true God. When, when If you're a believer in Jesus, when you're in heaven someday, you'll be in the presence of God and you will know him in a relational sense. You'll know what he's like. You'll know, you'll know how he thinks, how he acts, because you'll be with him and in his presence. And what Jesus is saying here is that believers in him get to experience that starting today. It's eternal life, knowing God, being in his presence is not just some far off idea that's only after you die, but it starts right now. When you believe in Jesus, you have knowledge of your heavenly father in a relational sense. And Jesus keeps praying in verse four, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Verse five, now father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have, everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. Now Jesus tells us who this prayer is for in verse 9. He says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from this world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. What does that mean that the Holy Father has given Jesus his name? Does that mean strictly like on his birth certificate, let's say, that he has the same name? So my dad's name is Steve Carl. My name is Simon Carl. Is that what Jesus is talking about? I get the same last name as my father? I don't think so. Uh, his, his literal name does have something to do with it, but it more has to do with his identity. Early in this gospel account, in chapter 1, verse 12, the gospel writer John says, um, those who believe in his name have the right to become children of God, basically saying they have eternal life. Does that mean that everyone who just literally believed that this first century man, his name was Jesus, so now they have eternal life? I don't think so. The people who rejected him, the people who killed him, they knew what his name was. It's really talking about his identity and talking about his character, saying that he is of the Father. He, he was with God and he is God. That it has to do with his name is his identity. But what's really intriguing about the name Jesus is that the name literally shows us his mission and his identity. His name broken down means the Lord saves or, or Yahweh saves. And so that shows who he is. He is the Lord who has come to save. He is Yahweh saving. He, that is who Jesus is. And so when, when he's praying, Father, you've given me your name, that's the role that he plays. He is the Father made flesh. He's not the Father. He is the Father. I know it's, it's interesting. It's intriguing. But he is the one who has come to save. That is his identity. That's what he's talking about, how his name here in, uh, in, in this verse. And then he goes on and says, now protect them by the power of your name. 
And when we think of being protected, uh, we think of if you have a fancy china set that you want to be protected so it's not physically harmed, or if you're a father who wants to protect your daughter, or you want to keep people from being physically harmed. And in these disciples' cases, they had a lot to be worried about. They had uh, the Roman government who was mad at them for saying they, Jesus is their king. When Rome wants to say Caesar is king, they had the temple who they say Jesus is the new high priest, but the high priest doesn't like that they're saying that. And they have these people coming after them. And 11 out of the 12 disciples were murdered for their faith in Jesus. They were murdered for proclaiming him as, as God made flesh as the savior. Was Jesus praying about being physically protected? I don't think so. Literally, the next word here gives us a clue of the purpose of what they're to be protected from. You go on in in verse 11 after saying, now protect them by the power of your name, so that. Whenever you read in the Bible and you see a so that, it means the purpose of what was just said is about to be revealed. And the purpose of being protected is so that they will be united just as we are. So even though the disciples had many physical dangers, that wasn't what Jesus was praying to be protected from. He was praying they'd be protected from disunity. He's praying that they would be protected from being divided. And so in this series, as we're trying to gain traction to live life like Jesus taught and modeled, we should shape our prayers after his. This is Jesus's example of having a prayer request. You know what a prayer request is. You've been in a, you've been in a small group or you've heard Christians talk about this and they say, does anybody have any prayer requests? This is like Jesus raising his hand saying, I have a prayer request. My prayer request is that the, my disciples will be united. That's his prayer request. Even though they have things that they should be physically worried about, he's not praying for that. He's praying for them to be united. Why is that? We can keep reading in this prayer to find out. In verse 12, uh, Jesus prays, During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. So he's saying not one was lost except Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. And it's not talking about any physical uh, uh, pain that Judas would have went through. It's not talking about his death. At the time of this prayer, Judas hadn't died. And if it's talking about death in general, well, 11 out of the 12 disciples died. That's not what Jesus is praying protection from. In the sense that Judas was lost is that he abandoned faith in Jesus. The other disciples say unified in their faith in who Jesus was, and they were unified in that, but Judas was divided. He abandoned the faith. And so Jesus is praying for unity of his disciples to maintain faith in him. That's We're praying for that unity. Pray for unity with Jesus and each other. And we want to shape our prayer life after him. And so we want to pray for unity with Jesus and each other. That's what we should pray for. Um, in, in the rest of this prayer that Jesus has, it explains further what he means by, uh, by being united. <clears throat> Let's continue to read in verse 13. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. 
And then in the next two verses, Jesus is about to give a really important piece of information about what he wants his disciples to be united in. This is what he says. He prays. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus wants us to be united with him in his mission. In verse 19, shares what his mission is. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Other, another way of saying this is that Jesus' mission, uh, he says, I am here to be sanctified or to be set apart. Well, what was Jesus set apart to do? He was set apart from the rest of humanity in the sense that he didn't have sin. Like I have sin, like you have sin. Jesus didn't. He was set apart from that, so he was able to be the sacrifice. If Jesus had sin in his own life, he would not have been able to be a sacrifice because he'd have to pay for his own sins. But because he didn't have anybody, he didn't have any of his own sins, he was able to be the sacrifice for people like you, people like me, people like the Apostle John. And that's what he set apart to do. That's his mission. And in doing that, in becoming the set apart sacrifice, I am able to be made holy. I'm able to be made forgiven. And that's Jesus' mission because now I'm redeemed because of what he has done. And we're united in that mission. And while you and I aren't going to literally be the sacrifice, we can point to the sacrifice. We can point others to Jesus as the sacrifice so we can be made holy. Not only was, was he just sacrificed for us to be forgiven, but he also was risen from the dead. And so in the question of like, why is Jesus not praying for these disciples not to be killed? Why is Jesus not praying for their physical protection? We can find the answer to that actually in chapter 16. That that's, comes right before this. And Jesus is saying these things like, you're not going to see me, and then you will see me. You're going to be sad, but then you'll be filled with joy. And the disciples are so confused. They're like, bro, are we playing peekaboo? Are we playing hide and seek? Like, what are you talking about? And what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about when he would go to the cross and be murdered for the world to see, his disciples will be filled with sadness. And when Jesus would go into the grave, they would no longer see him. They would be filled with sadness. But when he would rise from the dead, they will see him again and be overwhelmed with joy. And so that's what the resurrection means. But that resurrection, the, the event that happened 2,000 years ago, is a down payment for the final resurrection. It's, it's because Jesus will come back. The, the I will be gone, but then I will return. It happened 2,000 years ago with death on the cross and resurrection, but it's also happening now. We don't physically see Jesus. After he ascended, he, he went to heaven. And right now, we're experiencing sadness. You're experiencing pain in your life. We all are. We, it is, this world is broken. And that's the sadness that we have. But when he comes back, when we see him again, everything that is wrong will be made right. There will be no more pain, sadness, sorrow, suffering, and he will take care of all those things. That's why he's praying for us to be united in faith in him instead of just simply physical problems because he's coming back. He is coming back to make all those things right. He has taken care of death. He has already defeated it. When a Jesus follower dies, they have better life on the other side because they're in his presence. And that is some really good news. And that's why he's praying for a unity of faith in him because he has already taken care of the rest. He has taken care of eternal life and he is coming back to make all things right. And that is his mission. And so for us to, to be united in Jesus, to gain traction, to live like he taught and modeled, we want to model our prayers after him. And so we're going to pray for unity with Jesus and each other in mission to redeem the world so people can have eternal life and know 
their heavenly father. And that's what we're praying to be, to be united with Jesus in. Not only in mission, but then uh, check out in, in verse 20. Well, actually, no, before we go there, I'm sure some of you have thought this before. This mission of redeeming the world, that's for people like the Apostle John. That's for people like pastors like you. Uh, that's not me. That's not my mission. My mission is to be the best businesswoman or to be the best father or, or whatever that is in your context. Those things are great, but they're not your primary mission. Check out what verse 20 says. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's praying for you. He looked 2,000 years in the future, praying for you to be united in that mission. So no, your primary mission is not your job. It's not even to be the best parent, which those are good things. You should be good at your job. You should be a good parent. But your primary mission is to join with Jesus in redeeming the world, to be pointing people to the Savior, to the Redeemer. And then in verse 21, he explains that it's not only mission, but it's also relationship. In verse 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So not only in a missional sense, but in a connected sense. He says, I am in you, Father, and you are in me. We are connected. Does that mean that every Jesus follower has to have the same political party? Does that mean every Jesus follower has to be of the same socioeconomic class? Does that mean every Jesus follower has to have the same favorite Chicago deep dish pizza? Does that mean we have to be the same color from the same culture? No. It means in spite of all those differences, we're united in our faith and mission. Me and you, we could be totally different from a different culture. We could have different likes, different interests, different hobbies, different politics. But we're united in Jesus because he's given us all a mission the mission to redeem the world through him so we can know our heavenly father. And we're also united in a relational sense because those things don't keep us from being friends. Those things don't keep us from being together. Those things don't keep us from a relationship. And so to, to gain traction in living like Jesus taught and modeled, we want to unite our prayers with him to, to align ourselves with him. And so we will pray for unity with Jesus and each other in mission and relationship. But here comes another one of those, so that. There's a purpose to all this. Uh, in the rest of verse 21, it says, And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Earlier in verse 9, he said, My prayer is not for the world, it's for the disciples. But it's for the disciples, for the world, for the sake of the world to know him. And why is that so important that we're united? It's because we live in a world where people are really good at dividing. People are really good at fighting. We're literally in an election year right now coming up. We all know that's not going to be pretty. People are going to be fighting. We live in a world where divorces are rampant. People are dividing. We live in a world where families are broken. We live in a world where people argue about everything. But the Jesus people, the people who claim him are different because we're united. And when people see that, that's something that they want. Every human being craves connection. They, they, human beings are not made to be isolated. And when we are united as one people in mission and relationship, the world will see that and want to be part of that. The world will see that and want to know Jesus because of our unity. And so, as I've said many times now, to gain traction in living like Jesus taught and modeled, we want to align our prayers with his so we will pray for unity with Jesus and each other in mission and relationship so that the world will know him. 
That's what's important. I can't think of any other prayer that's that important than people knowing Jesus. I can't. And so this whole thing, that's what we're praying for. And this is why it matters, is because the world matters, because your family member matters, because your coworker matters. And our prayer life matters because the world matters. Uh, check out what, what the rest of what Jesus prays here. He's specific about his love. In, in verse 22 and following, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. Check this out. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. There's been arguments about the pronoun them. Is that talking about the disciples or is that talking about the world? If you take this whole gospel account into context, it's a verse you might have heard of. For God so loved the world. <laughs> it's picking up on that same theme that God loves the world. God the Father loves the world just as much as he loves Jesus the Son. And that is an intense love that our world has to know. And so think about your family member who doesn't yet believe in Jesus. They don't even know how loved they are. They haven't experienced the love of the Father. And if we pray to align ourselves with Jesus' mission, they can experience that love. That is why that matters. Uh, and we keep going in verse 24. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. He says, I'm continuing to reveal the Father's love. And in the next chapter, the following verses, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and went to the cross. He was the holy sacrifice in my place, in your place, so we could be made holy. And so, we are called to emulate that love. When we're united with him, we'll be united in that love. And, uh, I talk about Jesus' love a lot, and a lot of critique that uh, comes back is, but practically, what does that look like? That's just ambiguous. It's like, oh, lovey-dovey, love everybody. Um, it actually, in this farewell discourse, Jesus gives a very clear indicator of what his kind of love looks like. He says, there is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so what he means there is to put your life below everyone else's. <laughs> When Jesus went to the cross, he was treating me as if I was more important. I'm not more important than Jesus. You're not more important than Jesus. However, he decided to give up his life for you and for me, treating us as if we were more important. And so to, to practically think about the love of Jesus and how to share that with our family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, it's to treat them as if they are more important than you. Whatever context that's in, whatever situation, Think about what can I give to this relationship? How can I put this other person up even if it means I'm going to go down? How can I put other people up and put them as more important than me? And that's kind of practically what that looks like. Um, and to, to sum this all up, there's nothing more important than someone knowing Jesus. Just a few chapters ago, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is that just Christian dogma? Is that just a uh, Christian idea? Is that just because Christians are exclusive? No, it's because no one else has done what Jesus has done. 
No one else has taken the sins of humanity upon himself. No one else has defeated death by bodily resurrection. And that's why Jesus is the only way, because he's the only one who has done what he has done. And so there is nothing more important than us coming together and praying for unity with him in mission and relationship so that the world can know him. And so practically, here's a one sentence prayer that we can all do. We can all do this every day uh, in our church for the sake of the world. And so we can pray, Father, we can pray. Father, I pray for the church to be united in Jesus's love so that the world can know him. And if you want to, uh, to uh, put instead of church, put yourself. You can put ACC if you want. And instead of the world, you can put the people's names who you're praying for. But in general, this is a one sentence prayer we can all do. We can pray, Father, I pray for unity in the church so that the world will know Jesus. Father, I pray that we are all united in Jesus's love so the world can know him. And so, that's our prayer. That is what we're focused on. And I hope that this was helpful for you to know what to pray for. Unity in the church so the world can know him and know why it's so important. And so uh, in closing, let's pray. Father, I pray for the church to be united in Jesus's love so the world may know him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. song we could ever sing Worthy of every praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
We've worshiped together by singing and by being under the teaching of God's word. And now another act of worship is in our giving. Now, I realize at this exact moment you might not be giving, uh, but uh, you've been so faithful and generous in your contributions during this time. And as you probably know, you can give online through our website. You can also uh, text in your donation and you can also mail in a check. But this act of worship is so vital for our spiritual health and our spiritual growth and uh, for the support of the work of the gospel. And so I'd like to pray for the offering right now. Father God, we're so grateful for the gift of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this discipline that we can talk to you as our loving Father and we can share with you whatever is on our heart and mind. And Lord, I pray that the discipline of prayer would be something that each of us would be leaning on more and more and that, Father, you would teach us how to pray and that we would see wonderful answers to our prayers. Thank you, Father, that you're that kind of God, that you hear our prayers and you answer them. And so, Father, now we pray that you would receive our gifts as an expression of our worship and love for you. Father, help us as a people to give sacrificially, to give generously, to give cheerfully. We commit this offering to you as we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. And now, receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve him. All right, let me know when you want to record. <laughs> oh, just just go for it. I think I already am recording. Oh, sweet. And that's a wrap. This is uh, good. Let's go to my office. Well, cube actually i don't really have an office here it's just a cube um, and that's why actually we recorded in the gym uh wasn't really enough space in the cube however it's i'm a youth pastor you know so uh the gym is basically my office because all we do is play kickball <laughs> i'm kidding obviously let's head up to the, my office hey carol we're doing the office tour Oh, no, you're in the office tour. So I specifically, I was about to clean up earlier, but then I was like, you know what? We are real, genuine people here at ACC, and that'd be totally fake if I cleaned up. And so this is what my office looks like all the time. I don't, Pastor Dave's clapping for me. Keep it real. Keep it real. Yes. A clean desk is the sign of a sick mind, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, some things in this office that I'd like to show you. This is a really cool piece of artwork. Um, It was made by a guy at Trinity. I was actually the first person to ever buy artwork from him. And you know, I really like doing that. I like being somebody's first customer because at some point they're going to have a first customer. Why not you? Show someone you believe in them. Uh, But it's Lazarus Lazarus and Jesus and it's saying Lazarus come out. And it's kind of like, my motto in youth ministry, you could say, because ministry is always calling people from death to life in, in Jesus. Um, there's also a bunch of these little trinkets that I have no clue how they get here. It's like people just randomly put it in my cube. This one says, friends add sunshine to your life. That's kind of my motto in youth ministry is that friends add sunshine to your life. 
My beard comb, that's always essential. I'm in an online beard club if you're curious. <clears throat> oh, here's, here's good stuff right here. Uh, so this is a uh, card from my wife and it actually says, once upon a time, a very special person was born who was destined to change the world. Calm down, it's not you, it's Jesus. <laughs> I think he'd want you to have a happy birthday though. And what's funny about this is we have inside joke where for years, like going back to high school, we would give cards to each other that were not like the specific thing. So like this is a birthday card given to me not on my birthday. Or we would give like a Valentine's Day card on a birthday or like Halloween on a Christmas. It is just a funny inside joke we have. But yeah, she wrote me an encouraging note. She says that she loves me. She's real cool. Um, yeah, what else should I show you, Adam? Oh, here's also kind of my motto in youth ministry. More Jesus, more relationship, less coronavirus. Kind of my motto in youth ministry. Here is, it actually, I have some antiques here. Do you see this thing? It's a phone with a cord on it. <laughs> on my first day, when I got this cube, Jim, our director of operations, he brought this phone here and I was like, what is that? You think I'm gonna use a phone with a cord on it? Way too young for that. Um, I have some of this stuff over here, Oreos. The Oreos are really good. Um, here's a lava lamp. Don't know how that got here. Don't know where it's from. Gumball machine. Don't know how they got here. Don't know where that's from. Uh, oh, here. I don't know if you, you probably, I don't know if you can zoom in on that, but it's a Chick-fil-A thing. It says party hard, prep easy. That's truly my motto for youth ministry. <laughs> party hard, prep easy. Um, I don't think there's anything else to show you in my cube. So. Thanks for coming, folks.